for it. I don't think I can. Wait for it. John, you're asking too Hold much. Hold up. Go ahead. Oh, God. Hey, guys. Welcome. Hey. Episode 80. Movie Schmovie. Episode 80. How's everybody doing today? I'm doing pretty good. It's, uh, it's a beautiful day outside. Is we're, it? We're recording on a day in the summer. Is that it sort really? of feels like fall to me. It feels very cold. I kind of wanted to pose that question on Facebook and say, is it fall? And then I feel like people will probably be like, no, you idiot. It's only August 14th. When does fall technically begin? Is it like late in August or is yeah, it? Some... Let's go with that. I'm yeah. okay with There's that. There's an equinox. I think it's in like September though, isn't it? Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I don't know anything about that, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's a beautiful day. It it's is. a great day to record a podcast. That's for sure. It is. Even yes, though we're is. inside in the basement where the temperature is pretty standard. Yeah. And you never know what season it is if you didn't. <laughs> you really don't. You really don't. It's always a little bit cooler in the summer and a little bit warmer in the winter down here. So. Yep. Yep. Keeps you guessing. Mm-hmm. But we're going to be talking about a lot today. We've seen what a really eloquent person might call some, quite a few, lot of films. It's <laughs> a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Good way of putting it. I like that. <laughs> but yeah, so the feature review that we're going to go into this week is going to be uh, the, the Kick-Ass 2, the, the sequel to... Uh, Obviously, kick ass. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But we are going to talk about a couple other smaller films before we get into that. What the hell? We're yeah, going to talk about other shit? We do that all the time. You know oh, that, Ronald. Man. Oh, man. <laughs> we should call it movies schmovies. <laughs> movies schmovies. Just not to confuse anybody that there right. is only one film right, to be exactly. discussed. <laughs> Who's so, the guy that gets pissed off that we're talking about multiple? I thought it was about one film. What the f- Right. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> so what, what did we see small like these little vod films or however our means might be lovelace lovelace yeah we we watched that uh, um eh, i don't know it was a little better than the tv movie oh, we're all kind of shrugging our shoulders yeah at lovelace. if you could see us we yeah not enough bj scenes that was weird that's yeah. what the movie was about I guess Throats. you should probably just rent that or purchase the original yeah. film <laughs> you know ronald i just want to tell you if you're looking for bj scenes <laughs> yeah. There, I there is source material. I don't know that like a, a relatively mainstream indie film is going to be the best place to look for those. Yeah. Presumably, you you might have acquired this film through the internet. You're right. You were already at BJ Town. I know. Right I, and I, <laughs> yeah. I went the softest, softest. Yeah, core. that's true. Speaking of which, I did think that the movie uh, tried to have it both ways in a weird sort of way because I think it knew that if it told the story straight up, it was be too. It would be far too depressing. Yeah. And if they didn't. Uh, if they glossed over the more depressing aspects, then that would be seen as really sort of glamorizing a very, really a sad story. I mean, yeah. just to kind of review to most people probably know what the story is about, but it's about Linda Borman who was sort of renamed Linda Lovelace when she made the film deep throat in 1972. And the film went on to make, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Am I correct about that? And she made like nothing. She literally yeah. made uh, like one, $1,250. They yeah. said, that is, a, I saw that at the end of the that movie. That made me I, so I, sad. Oh my god! That's... But what what was that other money from? That was just from the, the the other stuff she was doing, like the products that she had. Oh, I'm sure there was money to be made. Yeah, you know, and definitely they and gloss like over that. in the film almost anything else that she did. And I think that's one thing the movie did. Even though I'm not trying to cast any blame or a further aspersion on on her character, because the story really is very much the story of how she sort of gets taken down by this experience in a way that those around her weren't. Right. Like the, the pornographers that made the film just benefited off of it and she was the one who kind of became like the social pariah to some people and then to other people she was she was a feminist icon, supposedly. Although it's very strange retroactively to think that it was like a feminist, you know, like a feminist victory yeah. to be giving head uh, to people. But I guess at that time it was about like 
sexual revolution and it was more about just any woman who could enjoy sex in that yeah. way yeah, yeah. Uh, but the film is an absurd film have you ever seen deep throat i have not yeah it's 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 absurd well it took the world by storm at the time and it kind of had this weirdly legitimate sheen to it it was before people really realized that porn was uh, a very sad industry and that there's a lot of people being taken advantage of and that the people making the money are not the people you know really yeah, taking yeah, the yeah. Taking the beating, so to speak. <laughs> I'm like, so, how's he going to finish yeah, that right, sentence? Yeah. It could be very yeah. interesting. The real troopers in the porn industry are those that are on camera. Let's got put it, it that got way. Got it, got it, So it's, it's a very sad story, and I don't know that there's really much... I mean, A, I think we've seen this. We've <clears> seen, you know, pastiches of it with, like, Boogie Nights. Oh, yeah. And we've seen other films that were set in that and around the porn. That is the That is the blueprint. So this movie felt yeah. kind of like it was... It didn't really, it didn't really have the scope of a real of a real epic film or a historical film. And it didn't really go much into the porn industry and it didn't really go beyond that just sort of in a very narrow way, painting Linda Lovelace as a really sad victimized person. And that, I, that's I, really, I feel like that's the only accomplishment I really felt the film did, yeah. which was to make her a victim, which not to say at some point she wasn't, I mean, I don't know her in and out story. They're <laughs> in and out like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> don't get proud. Steve. Uh, yeah. I'm Keep talking on the back, but yeah, I don't know. I just felt like the only takeaway from the film was really a, you know, the idea of her being a victim. And from what I read a little bit after seeing the film, like there was a lot of questions about, you know, I think there at some point she had two different bios out about her or autobiographies that she wrote, like at one point, almost like glorifying what she did. And it was like the best thing ever. And then later in life, it was like the worst thing ever. And, you know, is it just a revelation she had later in life or was it just somebody who was kind of changing their mind about what happened to them or what they I would did? say that from what I could tell, I may have read the same stuff you did, Steve, yeah. but from what I could tell, she just... The earlier books she wrote were much more a celebration of that persona that she was known for and an attempt to cash in on it, and that okay. she may not have had much to do with the actual writing of that stuff. Got it. The, the weird part is, the way this was done, it could have been, a porn aside, this could have been about any any situation that's volatile and stuff like that, which was which is a cool that it was a universal story. Like I feel like people go through this thing. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't unique enough in in terms of the scope and the time it the 70s didn't feel like the 70s it was like a bunch of stuff that was just very like generic about it that's and, a good point and i feel like i feel that the, way too. the a- actor wise it could have been a really good movie I, you know what i think it is the, the problem is is kind of what happens with a lot of people's stories um you get a person who is in theory a decent writer but it's almost like uh the only thing I can really compare it to is this whole idea. Like, uh, there's a scene in this Bruce Lee movie where Bruce Lee's pointing at the sky, and the kid keeps looking at his finger, and he keeps slapping him on the head, and he misses all the the glory beyond. And that's what writers do when they write people's stories. They they don't see the magic that made that person who they are, why the story was so significant. What it did for people, how it affected them, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. This was a huge thing. Well, I would say writers do often do that, but sometimes they don't. So they, they don't they miss that mark they don't. a lot. They right. miss the mark a lot. I mean, like think about all the good movies we see and realize how much of a rarity it is to have a story about a person that we know in some way, shape, or form, or we know of told well. Mm-hmm. There are a million stories told about people that are horrifically told, and this felt like one of those. It, it just didn't feel like. I think the best stories are the ones that, even though I don't like a person necessarily, what they stand for, that is told amazingly. And this was not one of those movies. It could have been done way better. There are way, way too many stars in it for it to to suck as much as it did. 
You know what did I mean? you think of the the performances? I thought Amanda Seyfried. I thought I she was great. Right? I hate Peter Sarsgaard. I'm starting to realize I don't like him a uh, lot. But by the way, is it Seyfried? 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 Yeah, I've heard it a million ways. Well, she one was, million. Exactly. She's good. <laughs> we we will run the movie movie uh, pronunciation confirmation oh, process yeah. on this. I'll make an interjection to know. But Amanda S, uh, who I've known, I've enjoyed her since. Uh, Veronica Mars was the first time I remember Disliked. seeing her I feel years like ago. I thought she could have been in the, with the right script. She would have been great her. as Linda Lovelace. Sharon Stone overplayed the whole. Sharon Stone was. I mean, she because Sharon Stone can actually be good. She she, she's actually been good in a few things. But I thought Sharon Stone. Yeah, she had. She picked one emotion to play. Yeah, and she just played that emotion. She had like zero heart. Like she was just like a cold woman. It reminded me of the Hillary Swank's family in Million Dollar Baby, the way they were just these hateful caricatures of these like greedy, selfish people who who don't care about their loved one. You know, I mean, I thought that her mom was, it was such a cliche the way that she kind of turned her. Away. I don't know. Every scene felt like it was that they almost shot it on the cheap. I mean, like even when she when she goes home to see her mom, I mean, there's no real character development yeah. there. But you understand because you've seen a million of these movies the type of relationship she has with her mom. And I think the movie repeatedly did that, where what you said about it being generic, it just plunks you down in the era, and it kind of gives you a few signifiers that this is the 70s, and right. you kind of remember That's all these it. movies that took place in the 70s that were kind of good, and, and it kind of trades on that. But yeah. it, it, do you know what I mean? It, but yeah, it was yeah, only totally. it was only about, about like one inch deep when it got to that. There was yeah. nothing beyond that. And when you get to the fact that most of the scenes are... Yeah, wow, we're really... <laughs> I can't help it, John. Yeah, yeah. That's all right, Steve. I'm a little kid. Yeah. Anything that has to do with length or size or mouths or choking on dick that we say done. is going to sound like an innuendo at this point. But no, I just felt like I kept wanting it to be more than it was. And then I thought, am I expecting this indie film to be... A bigger budget film and I kept realizing no I think you could have if you were really clever and this might yeah. be what you were getting at Ronald you could have with a really good script have with those actors and with that scope you could have made a really a really compelling story it sure. wasn't the fact that it wasn't a big budget extravaganza it's right. that they didn't really do anything to make it seem anything more than the sum of its parts and I, and I kept thinking somewhere in there they, they must have been sitting there on set going is this really all we've got like, did, did we yeah. just finish that scene? I guess we're moving forward because the movie kept just kind of moving forward. It and moves I, very fast. And I knew all the beats, though, because we've seen this story of like the innocent person who gets caught up yeah. in something and then it turns bad. How'd you and... feel about the reveal? Like, remember that scene where they're like, man, they're bumping around in that room. Yeah. And then oh, yeah. a, a half an hour later, he was beating on her, which mm -hmm. we knew already. Mm -hmm. But it was a the type of reveal you're like, man, that was so unnecessary to show. Those two perspectives, the way they did, I didn't feel like it was good. Well, well was, I mean, the reason I, the reason that bugged me at first, I thought, well, that's kind of a neat structural trick. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about, folks, if you haven't seen the film, is just that about halfway into the movie, it sort of backtracks and retells events from a different perspective or with different details feel, filled in. And to me, it just felt sort of arbitrary and like it didn't really earn it and it didn't really have enough of an effect. It just seemed like a cheap way to... To, to have its cake and eat it too, yeah. to say, okay, we're going to show you the fun side of this that maybe you want to see in a movie about porn. You want to see, you know, you want a picture that everybody was, was having a, a, a nonstop yeah. party. And then they show the ugly underbelly of it. It's not too different from the way Boogie Nights goes with a rise and fall type structure, but this just seemed like they were trying to get, they were trying to get you to enjoy it and then to see the ugly side of it in a really pointless way. Like that didn't really add anything to the story to me to see it, to cut it was, in half like that. It was more showy. Yeah. I, I felt like it was more to make you align with like her, yeah. You know, with 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 Linda, like to the point in the film where that device kicks in, it's kind of where she starts to accept like 
how bad her life has become. Mm-hmm. And then that's where it's like starts to tell this story almost again, you know, from the perspective of like it was a shot that cuts and like we get to see the end of that shot through her eyes, you know, right. the actual negative part, which I think that, that I mean, that's something that I could kind of come up with that that was like the reason why they even used it as opposed to just showing the story with the negative, you know, mixed in with this party. Um, and I mean, I, it didn't really, it didn't, I didn't really, I, it didn't really bother me that much personally, like the whole way they re-showed those scenes. But I do think all, I mean, to sum up my entire opinion of it is what Ronald said earlier, which was that it just feels like a story. It, it's a very generic story where it should be a very special story, yeah, a special yeah. script, a special film about a really historical figure in film and in, in, in the porn industry, yeah. just in women, you know, female empowerment, like John was saying. But it just could have been plugged in with anybody. It, it could have been about any story about yeah. a person that was taken advantage of and left out to dry. But it, it, it that's not what this should have been. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's that's exactly how I walked away. It felt like a movie I would just like catch on TV. Very but, mediocre. But did you have many expectations going in? I really didn't. No. Yeah. No, so I can't say too disappointed. I think maybe we just sort of, with the cast involved, it seemed like this movie might be one of those little indie movies that could, but it, it really does seem seem forgettable if there were any effective moments, one of the best was um, a moment where she and her husband, Chuck have had a fight in the street and she's fallen down on the ground and these two cops come up and they're about to help her. And then when they recognize her from porn, they sort of assume, well, who knows what this chick's into and they kind of back off, you know, that just kind of speaks to the sort of casual sexism of the era and the idea at that time that a woman who would be involved in that kind of thing would be into all kind of shady business, and yeah. the, you know who knows why she's out in the street. But you know, and, and any cop worth their salt would have would have probed a little further into that. I honestly don't know if anything that was depicted in the movie is the real truth, though. And that's the one thing that I, you know, I, I, I seems like it would be an interesting thing to judge would be how historically accurate was the movie. I have no idea about that. Do either of you have any any yeah, acquaintance I'm, with the facts about this? So. I'm not sure. I kind of wanted to read her book just because I was interested in. Yeah. Uh, but kind of what we were saying though, like in, in terms of some of the ha- the hands that the film was in, like Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Freeman, the directors of Lovelace, I kind of just got a sense that it really was kind of like, like a poorly made film. Um, and one of the movies I saw also over the past week was The Iceman, uh, starring Michael Shannon, which is actually the true story of uh, Richard, Kuk- Richard Kuklinski. 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 Um, who I first, I never really knew much about him until I saw one of the documentaries. I think there's actually two of them that were made for HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw the one that came out in 2002, the Iceman confessions of a mafia hitman. I think I ha- that's the one I saw too. I haven't seen the one from 92, but I mean, just a crazy ass story about a man that has pretty much, I think, uh, documented, uh, just killing like over a hundred people. I have heard oh. recently that there's some dispute as to how many people he actually killed versus him kind of. Talking himself up. But I don't know. The Iceman, actually, this is a film that, uh, like I said, Michael Shannon, who I absolutely love. And uh, I had wanted to see this. I heard a lot of good things about it when it screened at Telluride last year and also at Toronto. It didn't really get much of a release here back in May, but it's 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 uh, becoming available now. Um, and I had the uh, pleasure of seeing it. I did like the film. I don't feel that... The reason I kind of segued with the filmmakers because I felt like it was kind of just a generic film in a lot of ways. Again, outside of his performance... I think that again, a story that is 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 true in a lot of, in most ways with the number with notwithstanding of how many people he had actually killed, but a bigger than life story about this real man who possibly killed over a hundred people whose family had no idea that he was doing this, who you know they basically thought he was like an investment trader at some point, which is absolutely absurd to watch play out on the screen. 
Um, but but I mean they they buy it. I mean because they yeah. don't they don't know to ask any different, you know. And because uh, he's providing for them and things like. Well, that. Well, I saw the first part, and at that point, he's saying that he does voice dubbing for Disney films. Right. Well, and at, yeah. And at that point in the film, he's basically he's pirating porno films. Yeah. That's our nice also transition right. between the two films. Uh, but there's just there's just a lot. Of, I don't know. It's just it's it, it left me with the same feeling as as Lovelace a lot in a lot of ways, which was. In better hands, you feel like this movie would actually really feel special and stand out, not just from performance-wise, but the actual story yeah. itself and the script. And and again, talent, you know, there's a lot of really cool names involved. You got um, Michael Shannon, like I said, Chris Evans is in it, James Franco's in it briefly, Ray Liotta, Winona Ryder, wow. um, and some other names that you would notice the face that I, you know, people, I don't know their names, but you know, I know that they're from other films. Uh, Robert Davi, who is like basically in every mob movie you've ever seen, probably he's also in this film. He's also one of the Fratelli brothers in the Goonies. In Goonies, also a maniac cop. <laughs> you've never seen it. Anyway, but it, it's it's just it. Steve, I believe it was the Goonies. The Goonies, right, right. It just felt like a. This one I had more of a, a higher expectation for than than Lovelace, and I feel like still I was kind of a little let down slash middle of the road on it. If not for his performance. I would totally just kind of gloss over this film. I mean, he is... I mean, I don't even know... You've seen him in, in TV shows, like on Boardwalk Empire, and the film that he's done, like Take Shelter. Where, you know, I thought he was amazing in that. And uh, and uh, it just... You wonder, like, when he will break. You know, he's a he's a well-known name now. He was in the Man of Steel film. Um, and, you know, he'll, he's going to be a huge star at some point, and he's going to be somebody, I feel like, that will, will win multiple Oscars at some point in his career. It's so. what's that role? And it feels like this could have been that role if, if something, if that other X factor was there, whether it be the script or the direction or something else for him to just, like, take it next level. But he is a stone-cold, I mean, killer. And, and obviously, literally, that's what that guy was in real life. But, I mean, there's scenes in this film. I mean, he's a hulking man. He's, like, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, much like the real life character, and uh, he's just hard to watch. Like he's scary to watch, even though you know it's a movie and he's an actor, and that's just impressive to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I can't wait to see what he does. I know he's got a lot of stuff on his on his plate right now that he's going to be involved in over the next couple of years. So maybe one of them will be what takes him off. But I hope so. um, and Boardwalk Empire comes back in a couple of weeks. Exactly, oh, yeah. so. and I mean he's he's somebody that I think a lot of people over the past two years has have taken more notice of for sure. And he's gotten a lot more involved and in with some, with like, I guess more mainstream titles like mm -hmm. Superman or yeah. Man of Steel. I was going to say if, uh, if, if they have advancements in Kryptonian neck surgery, he might be back in a future Man of Steel film. This is true. This is true. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't think so. But I mean, I would recommend actually seeing the Iceman because I find like mob stories. I'm really intrigued by that stuff and, and mobster films and just real life, true crime, American crime. Really crazy story. I'd also recommend watching the documentary that I mentioned earlier, which is actually better. The only thing the guy ever shows remorse for in the real documentary was hurting his family and hurting people that knew him and that cared about him and stuff, which makes sense, but, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think the movie is very much about that, his his attempt to uh, have sort of a double life, right? Absolutely. Oh, it's, uh, totally. And Chris Evans seen him in this after seeing, you know, him in this whole Marvel universe now. It's kind of cool to see that, you know, he can actually be something else in, in more of a dramatic take and... Yeah, I think he's really good in the film Ryan too. Reynolds. Uh, what's that? And not a bootleg Ryan Reynolds. Uh, I I don't know actually. I, I kind of like Ryan Reynolds also though. So I like Ryan Reynolds too. I ju I just I I I need him to be in movies like this to differentiate himself because they're kind of in the same lane. Like 
Oh, yeah, uh, I, young, young, scrappy, muscular, taller men. I like bootleg versions of people. I have one in my mind that I always <laughs> think of because I'm always confusing these two actors, and they're, they're both rather obscure. But uh, yeah. I think Josh Gad is a bootleg Dan Folger. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna say oh, that. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Speaking of Dan Fogler, Fogler, is it Fogler? Fogler. I, I said Folger. I saw a scenic route. Oh, how was it? That was actually pretty good with him and Josh Demol. Mm-hmm. Duhamel, Damal. We got to get these names down. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was actually pretty good, man. Uh, Not great, but pretty good. Not going to go too deep into that in case we want to talk about that later. But speaking of Dan, (laughs) uh, solid, definitely his best thing he's ever done. He's really good in it. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, really solid movie. I know you you saw something else, Ronald. um, Well, I want to talk about a a smaller, smaller movie before I talk about the bigger one. All right. I saw a movie called Breaking Upwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Starring uh, Daryl Wayne. I don't know if you've ever seen him in anything. Uh, Zoe Lister-Jones. Can I show you a picture of her? Yeah. Uh, this is going to be one of those. Yeah, I think she's really pretty. Yeah. You've seen her before? No, I, I, I just like freckles. Uh, she's really pretty. Uh, but uh, she is in this movie. Um, she plays a person with the same name. And her name is Zoe. Her boyfriend's named Daryl. And they decide to basically give their... Uh, relationship a break so they break up now sort of break up they have these breaks where like so out of seven days they don't see each other for four days and then they kind of see each other in between and then kind of changes form and it becomes a little more open where they don't care who they date or at least they say that and it's it's about kind of the compromise that you make when you feel like you're uncomfortable in your relationship you want to try different things but you still love the person and uh how inevitably it it can only have one of two endings, right? So, I, it was an indie movie. I love indie movies. Uh, it, it had its moments. Uh, there aren't too many people in the movie besides the two of them, honestly. Um, it was solid enough. Um, if you want to see something about a relationship. You seemed excited to bring this movie up, but now you yeah, seem really you utterly depressed all. to talk about it. I don't know. The more I think about it. I, I, didn't, I didn't hate it, man. I actually thought it was pretty good. <laughs> But, the more uh, I thought about it, I didn't hate it. It was, I don't know. They had to put that on the poster. I realize that I watch a lot of indie romantic comedies and or romantic movies in general. But it's it's definitely worth checking out. It's it's a solid movie. Um, what'd you say? I know we both saw a movie that has a, a documentary that's been getting a lot of notice recently called The Act of Killing. You mean The Act of Being Great? Act of Being Great. Have you, have you upgraded it to great? Last time I heard you speaking of it, you seemed almost more... more like this movie made you nervous. You you weren't sure you had processed it yet. Yeah, I mean, I thought it. I thought it was a brave thing to do. I, you know, I thought this movie was such a weird concept, and it was so hard for me to figure out why. Like, I'll, the, the opening crawl of the movie is just a little bit of text, and I think it describes the movie and points out what the movie is in a way that no description could. So I'll just read that text, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. In 1965, the Indonesian government was overthrown by the military. Anybody opposed to the military dictatorship could be accused of being a communist. Union members, landless farmers, intellectuals, and the ethnic Chinese. In less than a year, and with the direct aid of Western governments, over one million quote-unquote communists were murdered. The army used paramilitaries and gangsters to carry out the killings. When we met the killers, this is the documentarians here, when we met the killers, they proudly told the stories about what they did. We asked them to create scenes about the killings in whatever ways they wished. This film follows that process and documents its consequences. Because when I heard about this movie, what I thought was strange is why. Why are you choosing to make a movie about these killings in this way? Mm -hmm. But what that narration tells you is that when they met these men, they were shocked by how proud they were. 
Yeah. And they thought the surest way of getting at that was to get them to tell the story and get them to reenact the story. That makes sense in context is to say, like, why is this person proud of this of these war crimes that they've yeah. committed? These are awful men. And we're kind of over their shoulder and we're kind of seeing them laugh and seeing them have happy, comfortable lives. And they could just point to someone and say that person's a communist and take them out in the middle of the night. <laughs> I mean, these are this this type I don't of thing to laugh happens. About that. It's just no the brazenness of it. It's yeah, ridiculous. It, it it's is, utterly really. ridiculous. It's shocking. And the one thing this movie made me think about when I was watching it was how quickly we get into the head of this Anwar Congo guy, the guy that it centers on, who it's not clear whether he was one of the worst, but he definitely seems to be sort of a celebrity in Indonesia. He's known. We see him appear at different rallies throughout the movie, and we see that he's kind of a beloved figure. We do see a few of these gangsters interact with each other, and there's talk amongst them about whether making the movie is a mistake because it's going to make their cause look bad. They're very worried that when people see the movie that that the filmmakers of the act of killing are making, that people are going to see that the communists weren't as cruel as the gangsters that attempt to wipe them out. And Which it's is a strange thing. It's just a very strange thing that it seems like these guys are only now beginning to consider whether their actions were wrong you know it's like in the process you see this guy 40 years later examining his behavior from 40 years before when he was taking people out in the middle of the night and cutting their throats and garroting them with wires and stuff and you kind of go okay well he's only just now going oh you know what maybe that was wrong of me maybe those people weren't very happy to have that happen i don't think they had a mirror they didn't have anything to really reflect yeah he kind of he kind of says that thing about like basically what happens when you're young and impressionable like he he he's very Although he aligns with everything that he did when he was younger, he, he kind of readily admits that he was so impressionable when he was younger that he would have done anything for the cause. Whatever that cause was. It's very made up. Like, all of it is very, like, it doesn't have any legs. Like, mm-hmm. none, none of the things that they do have legs. Like, it's it's very hard for them to explain things outside of the violence. Like, when, they, when they're questioning who, they, like, who were the communists, they're just like, they were people that didn't like the country, mm-hmm. the state of the country. They said they didn't want movies with violence because it was affecting the youth. So we killed them. Right. What? It's a really unsettling film. You have to watch it only because, you know, I don't want these things to happen. But you have to know that for every beautiful thing, there's a, there's a very ugly truth that exists in this world. It was rough. It's like the kind of movie that you, you have a hard time saying that I really like that movie. It's kind of like when somebody posts something on Facebook that has like it's like about like a death in their family or that someone in the sick <laughs> yeah, or something like that. it's like and, 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 it's like you click like yeah it's like there's got to be ass? some other like acknowledge <laughs> i acknowledge this or right, I, I hear yeah. you or something yeah, instead right. of like like so, a head nod or so it's something. like to say i like you know what i mean to say you like a movie like that sure. is kind of like yeah. to say it's an experience is true maybe yeah but. yeah the act of killing was was a crazy movie man yeah i know you saw you saw a big movie that came out I this did. last weekend in the theaters right elysium Elysium. <laughs> Which you liked, right? I did. You liked it or you loved it? I I think I loved it. Because from what I gathered, you loved it. Uh, well, here's... I don't know the last movie you tried to sell us on over Facebook. I, I can't recall oh. that last title. I wanted to love this, and then I heard mediocre things, and then it kind of slipped off my radar a little bit. Well, but but, I, but I'm wondering if maybe people were expecting too much. What, what was it that, you know, what pushed it into love for you? What, what pushed it into love is the same feeling that I got when I watched um, Oblivion. Kind of that, um, you've seen the future before. We've all seen the future before in movies. This this is like a, a sort of similar world to District 9, just dirty, filthy, struggling people. It's more towards the economic thing, kind of the divide. 
mm-hmm. where now, especially now, uh, there's really just pretty poor people and pretty rich people and, and really kind of knowing between a lot of the times and seeing it kind of portrayed the way it is through this and through a through a director uh, like Neil Bloomkamp is it's, it's pretty amazing. It, it, it plays on the, the idea of the future and all that stuff, but it doesn't insult you. So Matt Damon plays Max, who is a poor dude who's had some legal trouble and wants to go uh, to Elysium, which is this uh, basically ship that was kind of put into orbit because uh, the Earth's resources kind of depleted the Earth. It kind of got destroyed, essentially. Based so it's on, like the haves and the have-nots, the right? Haves essentially, and it's like yeah. every Earth is a shithole. At Earth this is point, a shithole, and there's a space station or yeah, something. Yeah, it basically recreates the best parts of Earth. Mm-hmm. And um, you're not allowed to go there, and he wants to go there uh, because you know he just he wants to be there. He wants a better life. He's always, he's always want to go there, but something happens to him that kind of pushes his need to go there. There's a plot to take advantage of one of the richer people and get to Elysium. Kind of kicks off from there. Um, although uh, there was a lot of complaints about Jodie Foster and her crazy accent in the movie. and The idea behind Elysium is that Elysium is so culturally uh, rich and so blended that everybody kind of has these, these people speaking French to each other and Spanish and all this stuff. And there is no real... So it's a hybrid accent. It's a hybrid sort of accent, So which I really liked. I thought it was cool after... I mean, it's annoying as hell at first, but then just seeing Jodie Foster be Jodie Foster. What, what I've heard was that the movie in the first half was addressing some of these interesting social ideas, and then when it gets into the climax that it just turned into an anonymous kind of action movie. Man, I don't know how else to, I don't know how else to say this without feeling like I'm insulting large groups of people, but I think that people When has that ever stopped you before? I feel like people do not want a smart movie. They don't. A lot of people don't want smart movies, especially when it comes to sci-fi stuff. They don't want really smart movies. Now, one thing I will say is uh the character what was his name in the movie? Kruger. Played by, I don't know how to pronounce his Charlto name. Charlto Copley? Charlto. The guy Copley. from District 9. Yeah. Now, if you like District 9, he's the polar opposite in this movie. He's like, he looks very tall in this movie. He's really muscular. And you can't pay attention to anybody else when he's on the screen. Mm-hmm. He's like charismatic to the point where it's uncomfortable. He's it's so he's so good in it. Well, that's the funny thing is because I loved him in District Nine, and which which was a movie I liked but didn't love. But mm-hmm. I loved him in that, and so many people pointed to his performance as one of the worst things about that movie. But I was shocked at that. What did you think of him in District Nine, Steve? I thought he was great. Yeah, he's well. Imagine how you feel about him in District Nine, and then double it for Elysium. He's he's like uncomfortably charismatic. Like well, it's funny that you put it that way though, because I do think some people don't like his kind of amped up sort of frenetic style of acting but i think he's one of those guys that is kind of fun to watch in that way but is, is he just a badass in this or? he is he is so um basically elysium has like basically border patrol and um in order to maintain it's like this also this cool idea that people don't think about to maintain peace this this nice united states that we live in there has to be somebody that wreaks havoc on the world mm-hmm. that we don't really like to talk about 
the soldier that the soldier that does not mind walking up on a foreign person and ripping their head from their bodies. <laughs> He's that sort of person. And that person has to exist. We don't think about that ever. That, that has to that has to exist. That has to <laughs> exist. That's what Ronald said. Okay, so yeah. we, we we have that established right now. We that know element. Ronald's standpoint on that anybody anybody that follows <laughs> news involving the military knows that we frequently have to go up to a foreigner and rip their head. <laughs> and off. Rip their heads off. That happens all the time, and it's is just that, one of the ways that we keep the peace. Steve. Is that person? There's that, no other way. You don't get to be darkness. the world police without going up to a foreigner periodically <laughs> saying, "Excuse me, sir, <laughs> may I rip your head off?" And happens. But that's that's kind of the element that exists uh sharon stone hires this rogue guy you mean jodie foster, <laughs> Jody foster. <laughs> One in the that's same the best movie. twist in the movie is that jodie foster is actually so, playing sharon stone so playing that, the president or that blew me away same, that same blew generation me away. of what actress twist. it's actually linda lovelace's mom in space <laughs> but they uh it's she hires this rogue sort of protector of elysium and he's a fucking asshole and he has this band of people that have to kind of do what they have to do you know, studios should just basically take all of their marketing money and just hire you mm-hmm. to explain what their films are about. <laughs> Can you imagine during the pitch of the movie where I take the, I say Sharon Stone instead of Jodie Foster? Oh, the same we always person. hear how they, the, 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 there are no new ideas, right? So they get Ronald to go see a movie and then tell them what happened in it. And it won't be what happened in the movie, but it'll be a new idea <laughs> for a new story. Totally new movie. You'll be the idea man for Hollywood. Yeah. But I th- you would recommend. I mean, I was going to see this anyway. Yeah, but. I think it's. I think it's really solid, especially since. I, uh, uh, Matt Damon, uh, <laughs> Sharon Stone's in it. No, with with the Bomb Camp, the, the Tom Cruise movie, Matt Jeez. Damon, Oblivion, Oblivion, Oblivion started the whole sci-fi thing for me. I'm like, man, I'm, and it's a beautiful movie. At least, yeah, sci-fi like, existed for years <laughs> before, <laughs> before Oblivion came out. But this summer, thank I mean, God for Tom Cruise. Yeah, right. <laughs> this summer, I mean. It's a beautiful movie. It's I think it's well done. Uh, Copley, whatever his first name is, really good, man. Really good. And also, um, I hear he goes up to a foreigner and rips his head off. <laughs> he rips his head off. Yeah, but John, it, it has to be done. Yeah, that's the kind of thing. It has yeah. to be done. Just like in America. But yeah, you gotta. I see think it. you just cue the Team America song. <laughs> America, fuck yeah. Yeah, freedom isn't free, guys. Sorry, sorry Your to cut you off, John. Freedom is not free. No, I have one other movie that I saw that actually, uh, uh, it was, um, I, I guess it seems like it's appropriate to mention it in this episode because it, it rhymes almost with Lovelace, but it's a movie called Jug Face. Have you seen Jug Face? Anybody? Know anything about Jug Face? Jug Face? Jug Face is a weird one. It's a, it's a new, it's on demand right now, and it is, it's a new movie that's written and directed by a guy named Chad Kinkle, I believe. Let me make sure I've got that name right. Yeah, it's written and directed by Chad Crawford Kinkle. This actor, Sean Bridgers, he played Johnny Burns on Deadwood. Do you remember the yeah. guy who worked under Al mm-hmm. Swearingen, the kind of dopey guy? Yeah. He's done a lot of indie films, it seems, and he's popped up in a few things. And I noticed him in this, and I heard that he was good in it. And so I checked it out. It's a pretty cool movie in a lot of ways, but it's it's a great example of a movie that, because it's an indie film... And because of the limitations of the budget, it does a great job of setting up the mood and the atmosphere and the characters. And then when it comes time for the scares, the the scares are just right out of like a sci-fi channel movie or 
any number of kind of low budget movies. It's like the style of the movie changes when they get to the scares. So it's got atmosphere and it's pretty good. And then when they get to the scares, it like it's like cheap video effects and the the shooting style. It just does not work. It falls apart completely around the scares. Ronald, did you know there was a Sci-Fi Channel? I didn't know because yeah. you. I don't know no, if, they, no. if you yeah. learned about that after you saw Oblivion. Or yeah, not. It, date, it dates back to dates back to when Oblivion was released in May of. Uh, it was created right after yeah. Oblivion's opening weekend. Yeah. <laughs> the first of its kind. Yeah. <laughs> the Rosa the Rosa Parks of sci fi movies. <laughs> you got a lot of things to enjoy, Ronald. Actually, I can make a list for you. There's wow. so even as wow. early as like 2000, 2005, there were sci fi films. No what? way, John. Yeah, no. no, now you're talking crazy. No, I know. I know. <laughs> I, but, I have to check out Drug Face. Yeah, it's interesting. I would say that the concept behind the horror aspect of it is there's this little group of people it's hard to tell whether they're a family or whether they're just a small town that is on the edge of these woods and in the woods there's this pit that they that they kind of make sacrifices to and it's almost like it kind of it it heals them and it cures people but it also demands a price and every now and then it requires that a sacrifice be made and that's kind of where the movie sets up is the idea of a person who knows it's their time to be sacrificed doing everything they can to evade sure uh being punished and and we see that the toll that the the spirit or the demon or whatever it is that's in this pit it it kind of until the right person is sacrificed it will it will keep killing people and awful things keep happening and it so it's a neat setup for a movie and like i said it just falls apart around the scares and it makes the mistake of when it does finally bring the supernatural elements into them to the movie they're they're just not as well developed and interesting as the character stuff going into that i would say for the performance of sean bridgers as a kind of simpleton named dewey who is actually the local person who is sort of involved in choosing who the person to be sacrificed is. And so he has an interesting role. He does a really good job, as does Lauren Ashley Carter as Ada, the main character. You know, there's a couple of instances of kind of overacting around that. Sean Young is in it, and she... she it's hard to say whether she's just playing... It's kind of like Sharon Stone's character in Lovelace. There's a certain amount of overacting. When an actress is given that kind of character where she's just going to play sort of a nasty, mean mother, <laughs> sometimes those characters come off as really over the top. Yeah. In this movie, you do get to see that underneath that that cruelty, there is there are reasons for it. Like There's a reason why the mother has this attitude. And in the end, the morality of this movie is just very... It's very Old Testament uh, you know, eye for an eye type stuff that if you anger this spirit, then you will be punished and there's nothing you can really do to avoid it. So in that sense, I would say it's a neat story, but I really wish they could have come up with a more innovative and kind of artistic way to shoot the scary scenes because it, it, the atmosphere just completely goes up in smoke every time the supernatural elements manifest themselves. It just beco- it instantly becomes like a, a, a dumber movie when it gets to those parts. But I would actually, you know, recommend seeing it. If if I know Steve, you're a horror guy and you might yeah, be prone I, to I, check that, anything out. It sounds something cool. I think I, it's I actually it pretty out. interesting. And and the moments, it's it's more thought provoking ultimately than it is scary. But that's not really a problem. It's just a movie that it had had a bit more potential than than it managed to fulfill. Lovelace, Jugface. <laughs> oh, they rhyme. Yeah. See what <laughs> see what I did there. All right. So are we going to talk about our feature film? Now? I think we will. An hour into the podcast. Let's get to the feature film. Oh, yeah. If you stuck this far. So Kick-Ass 2. Raise oh. your hand if you've seen Kick-Ass 1. Uh, oh. Okay, good. All three of us. Good. Making sure. Uh, so this film, the sequel, not directed by Matthew Vaughn, uh, which it definitely suffers from. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I did read that Matthew Vaughn picked, he still produced it, picked the uh, the, the, the director and writer of the film, Jeff Wadlow, uh among other submissions that they had. Um, I'd say if you were a fan of Kick-Ass, 
I think that you would probably still like this movie. I came out of the theater saying I still enjoyed it. I had fun with it. My biggest complaint, I'd say just to get it out right now, is that I feel like where the first one kind of winked at a lot of the cliches that happens in the like superhero action movies or whatever, this movie, I think they almost fall into a lot of them. You know, there's more of them where they're actually involved in those things that the first film kind of laughed at or made yeah. fun of or turned on its ear, mm-hmm. which I think if, which was, I don't know if that, I don't know if the comics go that route because I'm not really very in tune with the source material. Um, but that was my biggest issue with the movie overall. I still found it really entertaining, very funny. Um, I was into a lot of the action set pieces, even if I felt like there was maybe issues with how they were approached. But um, yeah, I don't know. I felt like if you like the first one, it's it's not as it's not as good as if or better than that. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's still pretty entertaining for what it is. And the fact that a movie like this and in, in coming out in August usually isn't the best sign that it's going to be great. Um, I think it's still pretty solid. I think it's it's in that sense. If the first one kind of winked at superhero movies, which it definitely did, and it felt almost like a stale idea when it came out. But it made it made something fresh out of it. Sure. I mean, I think superhero parodies at this point are as stale as the superhero tropes that they parody. You know, at this point, all the obvious jokes about superheroes and and pits and Kickass somehow managed to avoid all those obvious jokes about superheroes. Yeah. And I think this movie, uh, you might be right, Steve, that it's almost a little more absurd and it goes a little bit more to these extremes. But in a sense, I think that if Kickass was was a tweak of superhero movies then kick-ass 2 is almost like a tweak of sequels because everything's a little bit sillier or a little bit bigger a little bit more fun and kind of expanded i don't know that the movie really had a tone and i think that was a problem i had with it is that and i don't remember this being as much of an issue with the first one where it was sort of like it would be funny and then it would be gory and then it would be it was hard to take the threats seriously because it got so silly in some spots and then it was maybe hard to laugh at some of the jokes that were happening while really unpleasant stuff was going on in some spots. I don't think throughout I had that issue. I think overall I thought, and I think I said this to you, Steve, is that if I were judging it based on the the highest highs that it hit, there were moments where I was, you know, where the whole row was rocking with laughter at things that were happening. And then there were moments where I was a little bit like, eh, I don't know if I'm ready to laugh at that or I don't know what that was supposed to elicit for me. But I found myself continually surprised by the gore and continually surprised by just, just how many twists and turns they were able to follow with these characters and, and, and still ultimately follow an, a, a nice character arc that didn't really feel like a story. I didn't feel like there was much of a story to it. I think the character arc was was pretty well developed. I don't know that the... I never really felt like the villains were that much of a threat. I think it's a little bit lacking in style and cohesion that the first one had, but ultimately it's not like a stumble of any sort. Um, what do you think, Ronald? Yeah, the more I think about it, the it, it felt a lot drier than the first one. Uh, yeah. I thought that I'd like Jim Carrey in the movie, and I wound up not liking him. Mm. And I see why he kind of separated himself from it. He yeah. kind of he kind of phoned it in a little bit. Like it didn't feel it didn't feel like a strong Jim Carrey performance. Well, Jim Carrey is in the movie very much in the capacity that Nicolas Cage was in the first one, where he's kind of brought in to be a certain type of superhero. In this case, he seems like kind of a a mix of like the Punisher and Captain America. Yeah. And um, with all these religious conflicts, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the character. I don't. I thought Jim Carrey was fine. I just don't think that he had that the character was as fun as the character of Big Daddy played by Nicolas Cage in that, the previous that, that's one. It, yep. And that is like clearly what it was meant to remind you of is that okay? Here's the established actor kind of doing a, a role that you might not expect them to do. I don't think Jim Carrey was bad. I just don't know that there was as much 
to enjoy about that role. But I, I agree with you. I was sort of expecting to be more blown away by what he did rather than kind of going, oh, that's Jim Carrey. And he's he's given it his all. And of course, it was hard not to think about the story we talked about yeah. where he has... I don't know if we ever talked about it on the podcast, though, that Jim Carrey has backed away from doing any publicity for Kick-Ass 2 because of he feels that since he shot it, there have been so much violence in the news that he doesn't want to doesn't want to promote a, such, such a violent film. Eh, you know, whatever you think of that decision. It was hard not to think about that every minute I saw him on screen, to think yeah. like, oh, he thought this was too violent. His scenes weren't even the, the worst ones. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of the violence in this movie, though? There definitely I, was a lot. I mean, well, there was something about the violence in the first one that felt a lot more exciting the way this was done i don't, I don't know it's it's kind of like uh sort of thing i was talking about when it came to the the rhythm of the scares in the conjuring mm -hmm. the way that you know you would think the beats of it you think something was going to happen then it, nothing happened and then it happened when you least expected it the violence in this was like almost kind of like very almost like clockwork and it didn't feel like I feel like violence should be done for a reason. You know what I mean? And and I like that uh, Hit Girl is an amazing, like, small girl that can do all these amazing things and flip around and shoot people in the head and stuff like that. But it just it just didn't hit like the first one did. It just, none of the violence hit. It was a lot. It was a lot. And, and kind of putting it in between... It's, it's, it's kind of the same idea like we were talking about before. He It's, it's almost like... Matthew Vaughn understood what made this story great and unique and powerful and cool, and this person completely missed it. And the more I, I thought about the movie, the more I, I didn't like how it felt a little mistreated. This this script felt a little, the story felt a little mistreated. Well, I think sometimes, I mean, I think all of that to me sounds like a symptom of sequelitis. It sounds like what happens when you come back to the well and you're trying to, you're trying to, hit the same spots and trying to get you're trying to retell some of the same jokes you did the time before and you're trying to do different spins on it and things necessarily as i said before just get kind of bigger and dumber yeah. and i think that there were some moments in this that were really kind of fun to watch like i'm thinking particularly there was a character named mother russia yeah. there's a scene where she just dismantles some cops that kept ex that kept, was a great kept scene. escalating and getting more and more absurd and i kept thinking okay this is the world we're in you know this yeah. is the world of kick-ass that we're in that yeah. kind of and if you've read the comics i think you have read some of the kick-ass i read the first one and some of the second they're definitely it's definitely like a harsh sort of cruel world yeah. that it takes place in it, and there's a lot less, of really kind of mean relief violence in less that comic relief it's like it ha it's like a joke and then but it's not like it, it's it's humor in the way that spider-man likes to joke around mm -hmm. but it's not like Ha ha ha, and that and that's kind of what bothered me about the second one. You have source material. You aren't you aren't making this up. Like the first one is almost exactly the same as the first set of Kick Ass comics. So like it was almost scene for scene. Some scenes were almost exactly the same. So I mean, if if two was supposed to do the same thing, I don't really understood Stan why it was. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I think that I'm not excited to say everyone run out and go see this movie. But it is kind of recommended if you like yeah. the first one. Uh, but I agree, yeah. It definitely had that... There's, there was something about it that just sort of felt like on a scene-to-scene -scene basis, there would be stuff that really worked and there would be stuff that really didn't. And there were moments where you felt like the movie paused for a laugh that nobody 
nobody in the audience experienced. And then there'd be moments where everyone would be, you know, you wouldn't hear the next line because there'd be so much laughter. Yeah. One scene I thought that really, those tonal issues that I was talking about that really stood out was there's a scene where we're introduced to this group of superheroes. These, mm-hmm. these, you know, the premise in this film is that Kick-Ass, who, if you remember from the first film, was a high school student who just decides to be a superhero. In this, he has kind of lost his trainer and doesn't have anybody to work with, and he's looking for other superheroes, and he meets this group that's already getting together called Justice Forever, and that's actually the group led by Jim Carrey as Colonel Stars and Stripes. And we meet this this ragtag group of you know kind of low-budget superheroes, and there's this one pair of superheroes that's, uh, well, a couple, a husband and wife, who've lost their son, who's, you know, I think Remember Tommy is their superhero name. And, you know, it, it, there's enough kind of dark humor in that that I wasn't really taken aback by. But it was interesting noting that the audience didn't know how to react when when everyone was going around and telling their origin of their powers. And it's all kind of silly stuff. And then you get to them saying their motivation for being superheroes is is that they want to fight crime after their son was kidnapped and presumably murdered. Did you notice that there was just kind of a lull in the audience? Like there were people yeah. that started laughing. And then realize, wait a minute, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to laugh at this. Yeah. And then they kind of quieted down. And then what people end up chuckling at is that these characters have like fanny packs on and they look a little dorky. And that kind of becomes the joke of them. Yeah. But I think it was weird that I don't know. At that moment, I was like, okay, right now the audience seems to be experiencing the way I feel about this movie overall, which is, oh, parts of me thinks this kind of violence and stuff is really funny. And another part of me thinks like, wow, this really is over the top. And it really is, you know, like seemingly... It's almost got like a video game like sensibility about like achieving that kill. There's some really, you know, I will say rather, there's something involving a lawnmower that that I definitely grimaced. Uh, oh, I love that. I that was so crazy. But I mean, there's some really awful deaths for people in this movie, and most of it is played for laughs. And I personally was not shocked by it, but I could imagine this being the type of movie that is the nightmare of all those groups that say that you know film violence is is getting so bad like this is exactly the kind of movie that people are fantasizing when they talk about that that here's a movie that that has awful things happening to people and it's definitely played for for humorous purposes well kick-ass one felt like kick-ass the second one felt like super the rain wilson movie Mm -hmm. it felt a little more less uh you mean the james gunn movie the james gunn movie (laughs) well the one that starred uh which is so funny uh kick uh you know, you know the way Netflix gives you the recommended if you like, like at the bottom. If you're looking uh-huh. at Netflix on an iPad, yeah, you've got the little, uh, the little uh, yeah. thumbnails at the bottom. Scroll, yeah. So Henry has been watching like superhero movies recently on the iPad. So he's he's seen the Avengers and he looked down there and Super was one of the recommended if you like type wow. things. And he and the small version he kind of looks like the Flash. And yeah. there's someone else wearing kind of green behind him. Yeah. So Henry thought it was the Justice League. And he kept wow. saying, there's a Justice League movie on there. Can I watch it? And I said, probably so, buddy. Let me check. <laughs> and when I looked on there and I realized it was James Gunn's movie Super, which if anyone's seen it, it's definitely, I mean, it's not even just not for kids. It's it's not even for adults. It's yeah. pretty depraved. The scene where he hits the man in the face with the wrench and his, yeah. his like face caves in and he bleeds out. Yeah. 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 Henry, that's not for you. Yeah. <laughs> that's not Flash. That's not Flash. Yeah. So I don't know. I'd say check it out. I mean, it didn't really raise or lower my expectations. I kind of went into this was this one with almost zero expectation. I don't know if I... It's not like I expected it to be bad. I just, you know, I didn't have much writing on it, and therefore any entertainment value I got out of it was a bonus. Nah, I don't know. I, I thought did. it was fun. I mean, I think, in, like I said, in perspective of when it's coming out and, and what else is offered right now in yeah. theaters, I mean, not, not... I mean, there are some ones like, you know, Ron's talking about Elysium that came out last week, but... New releases this week. I mean, I'd say like again, if you are just looking for entertainment and if you are okay with the kind of movie that it is and Kick Ass was, uh, I'd definitely recommend seeing it in theaters. I mean, yeah. I, I 
don't love the film, but I think I had a good time with it, and I think it'd be fun just to check it out in theaters. But um, and by the way, we can go. At, we, maybe we should go ahead and start doing this as a public <clears throat> service. Let people know if you wait through the credits, there is something after the credits. Yeah, there's a stinger. Yeah, I don't know about the stinger. Whether you're going to walk out with a with a like a, a sick feeling in your stomach <laughs> or not. From it's a mild thing. sting. It's yeah. a mild sting. Right. But yeah. still, we should keep that in mind. We should do that from now yeah, on. Yeah. We should always remember. Because we're sticking around. Because I've become annoyed. It doesn't matter what kind of movie it is. Now I'm afraid that <clears> they're <throat> going to throw something You're on. waiting for yeah. it at the end. Yep. Kick-Ass 2. Yeah. I say check it out. It's yeah, a... It's a are we giving it a go-ahead? Yeah. I'm I'd giving it a go-ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. You know what you're in for. I'd say see it. I'm not super enthusiastic about saying that, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, Ronald has just deflated right into the microphone. <laughs> yeah. That's episode that's, eighty, I think. Yeah, I think I think I it. think it's getting to that point where we're gonna draw. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, well, what else, Ronald? Well, I saw. <laughs> 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 and I'll just talk. There's about... a lot of movies. We talked a lot about a lot. We did. We yeah. T- we we do that a lot. We talked a lot of shit. <laughs> well, it's nice to cover a lot of films. I felt like I feel like it's been a while since we've come in here with this much this much to talk about. If next time, if we try to all see the same movies, it'll be even better. That's true. We can align with each other. All right, guys. Moviesmovie.net. It still exists. I didn't sell the domain off yet. Yeah. I am taking bids, though. I'm going to start an eBay auction for it. Um, but you can st- still hit that up if you want to check the podcast out on there. Uh, Moviesmovie at gmail.com if you have suggestions, feedback for topics or what we're doing right or wrong. Um if it's something that we're doing wrong, just don't email us. It's right. actually not the right email address. Just what you should do is what they tell you to do in those situations. Write the email, like take five minutes, walk around the block, come back, read it, and then delete it. <laughs> just so you get it off your chest. That right. is the proper workflow. Yes. yes. It's like putting it in a bottle and sending it off in the ocean. Because mm-hmm. you'll shit it if you complain. <laughs> Ronald's got this new positive outlook. But he states ever it, since he found sci-fi. But he states it in a really down <laughs> downbeat way. Like, yeah, yeah. If you're gonna complain, just <laughs> the future is so bleak. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you for. There's this new thing I've heard of called a dystopia, guys. <laughs> Brand new. Ronald's gonna find out about Blade Runner being made in 1982, and he's gonna think there must have been time travel. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Someone what saw Oblivion and went back in time to 1982 and made more and movies. Made, like, <laughs> totally stole that idea. <laughs> From, Goddamn oblivion. Yep. All right, guys. Good times. Mm-hmm. Episode 80. Yeah. In the books. And as you usually do, you've made our day. <laughs> as usual, you've made us gay. <laughs> no, I didn't. What? <laughs> that happened. <laughs> that happened.